Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Get Real with Dr. Ronay, Doctor of Clinical Psychology and Trauma Specialist. Dr. Ronay Calvert is Executive Director of Live Treatment Concierge Services. Live Treatment provides a unique wraparound approach of concierge services in person and virtually, specifically tailored to each client with a level of effectiveness that transcends any other program. In her daily experience of guiding clients to recovery and emotional freedom, Dr. Renee Calvert gets real to shed light on subjects that have remained in the shadows with courage and compassion. Joined by Bindi Height, international spiritual coach and mentor from Ethical Change Agency, with the mission to inspire change makers and holistic healers to create collective change to make the world a better place through the power of human connection, purpose, and podcasts. It's time to get real. Hey, Ronay. Hey, Bindi. We have another special guest uh, to share with you and everyone. Um, I'd like to introduce Antonia Rolls. She's an artist from Bognor Regis, uh, a small seaside town on the south coast of the UK. She was born an artist, never wanting to do or be anything else, and became a professional portrait artist. After losing her partner in 2007, she trained as a sole midwife, a holistic and emotional support for those at the end of life. At this time, she began creating an exhibition of paintings and stories around the end of life called A Graceful Death. For 10 years, she worked both on this project and as an end-of-life companion, and during these years lost another husband, her parents, and a brother. But there is addiction in Antonia's family too. Her response is to create a new project, Portraits and Words from and of Addiction, as a way to try and understand. She has had to find a way to survive the craziness, the destruction and distress of watching a loved one spiral out of control and resist all help. The project, Addicts and Those Who Love Them, Behind Every Addict is Someone Traumatised by Loving Them, simply tells stories. She asks other people in addiction whether an addict, in recovery, helping addicts or in a relationship with an addict what is happening for them? Welcome, Antonia. Thank you. It's lovely to meet you both. Thank you. It's lovely to have you here. And um, I'm a huge fan of your work. And I thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, one of the things that um, I know has been shared, uh, it's kind of one of the things that I say 
Uh, and I, when I listen to myself in retrospect, I think it's kind of like, you know, when you hear your own voice on the radio and you go, oh my gosh, you know, that sounds, what, is that me? Um, one of the things I know that I, I repeat quite often, and I think I repeat it because it's so meaningful in my life and in the lives of all of you out there who are listening and looking for what is the purpose in pain? And why do we do the things that we do? And why don't we just throw our hands up in the air and say enough is enough? And that is a healthy response to say, I'm done. Enough is enough. And how we reconstitute from that, the get up from the fall down is everything. So while I do not believe, as I've said, um, that I'm personally not a believer that every painful tragedy that we go through has a purpose in its originality at its origin. I do believe that we can assign a purpose to the pain and we can make it count so that it is not simply senseless. And when I hear a story, not just a story, but a devotion, a vocation, a calling since the time that you were young all the way through present day, what I hear is someone who knew that they were going to touch the world in all kinds of various and sensitive ways, intuitive ways, and being intuitive and having the desire to affect change and touch those who are wounded, heal those who are in the process of breaking and reintegrating and reconstituting again and the grace of and dignity that it requires to walk somebody through the peace past the pain of letting go of their life. There's such a juxtaposition there. One of my favorite movies of all time is Shawshank Redemption and you know, the whole quote of get busy living or get busy dying. And the idea that your life, as well as your art and your creations and your devotion, really is the full spectrum of both. It's those that are dying that you are helping through the doors of the way into another realm. And it's the fight that you're in to stay alive and make sense of pain that is often senseless. And thank God that you have this innate gift to share with the world, but also as a me, an outlet for yourself, because there's so much in there, there's so much resilience in what you've had to go through. And being in being intuitive and being a creative and being an artist and being more empathic than than most, you know, than than many are, and in touch with their empathy, um, as it requires to really delve deep into uh, not just the art, the physical art that you create, but I would also call the work that you do with people another art form. It's not a science; it's definitely an art. So knowing that you had these innate gifts, but we can never know what the future holds. And that as life took each turn, you relied upon 
those gifts and that intuition to delve deep. And you've also asked others to delve deep with you. And what has that journey felt like? What beyond you, once you once you invited other people into that story and asked them to share and be representative of their stories, what was that like? Um, thank you so much for your lovely and kind words, Ronnie. That's just wonderful. Um, now, there's a long kind of answer to that, uh, which won't be too long. Um, I am now at a place where I understand more who I am. When I was a little girl, I thought that I was born a fairy. And I believed that I was different. And that wasn't very comfortable because when you feel that you're different, you, you want to belong, but you also know that things don't, don't quite um, add up for you in your own world. So I've had a life where I have experienced a kind of what I call is sort of a black hole inside. I didn't know who I was and nothing. I was like, I was like a kind of Henry Moore statue. You know, those Henry Moore statues, which have big holes in the middle. That's what I was like. And yet I knew that there was something more. So we get to the stage in 2007 when my beloved partner died and everything fell to pieces. Now, in retrospect, I look back on that and I think that he came along and he died and he gave me a job to do. Because from that moment on, something shifted in my psyche, something shifted in me, and I understood a bit more of what I was supposed to do. Having said that, I was deep in grief and I began to work with people at the end of life. Right. Fast forward um, uh, to, to now. The journey of dealing with the Graceful Death exhibition, learning how to um, uh, witness the end of life, learning how to journey with people, learning how to hold the space and to get out of the way so that people can just do their own thing. Um, it's, I think, in a way, looking back on it, it's like a kind of training though it isn't a training because everything, you know, is, is worthy on its own, to the point where I had to face addiction in my family and a very close family member um, became addicted. So it's been 10 years of trying to work out what I'm doing, what's happening, who I am in this, and trying to, to understand the craziness of what an addict is and can do in the ripple effects. So I started to um, I started to do an exhibition in two, uh, 2018 on this family member with their their permission, um, and I held this exhibition, uh, which actually was too much for this family member, and it didn't. The, the exhibition was great. The paintings I thought were really good. They're very powerful. But this person said, please don't show them again. So I have these extraordinary paintings in the studio, which I can't ever show. So I decided um, to do more work and make it wider because at this exhibition in 2018, 
um, a lady came in and she was walking around the exhibits and my family member had an opioid addiction, um, which has now spiraled into anything that they can get hold of, including alcohol. Um, and this lady started to cry as she was walking around. And at the end, she came up to me and she said, but this is, this is happening to me. And I thought I was the only one. And a light went off in my head. I thought, there. There is so much shame about this situation, which we don't need to have. And this poor mother thought she would, she believed, you know, her, her, her addict was telling her she was the problem. It was her daughter. And of course, because she couldn't talk about it, she believed her. She thought, yes, you're probably right. I am the problem. And it occurred to me that I'm actually past that point. I've got all this work out here and we need to shine a light on this. We need to shine a light on it. I can't cure it. I can't explain it. I don't know what to do. But we need to all see, first of all, that we're not alone. Second of all, that behind every addict, there is someone traumatized by loving them. And that love is the operative word. But that love has got to be very strong. And that love is not sentimental. And that love doesn't get get stuff given it back to it. it's not reciprocal but it's a love that's very very strong and it takes a lot of knocks and that love is what a lot of us who do love an addict have to learn to deal with so I started the addicts and those who love them um, and I showed the first exhibition last year and I've just finished another one and I have found that Working with people who are in addiction, um, particularly in this way, because I paint their portraits and I interview them and I write their words on the actual portrait. So we have the portrait and the story. So you can't look at the portrait and ignore the words. You've got to see the whole thing. And the story comes alive because what happens then is obviously I can't do anything about it, but I see them. And I hear them. And it's the seeing that makes all the difference. I see you. I hear you. Just for as long as we're together, I see you. What you are explaining right now is the first step that absolutely must occur in the healing process. Being seen and being heard is the first step to being understood. And while there's a very big difference between exploiting a loved one, there's a reason why those that belong to a program, um, for all of you out there listening who are part of AA or NA or any organizational group, um, any social behavioral model of recovery, uh, we know the importance of anonymity. We know that within those rooms, we're able to share because it does not leave those rooms. That is the promise. That is the intent is that there is a place to bear all where you not need to worry when you leave that that is going to follow you to your job, to your relationships outside of that room. It's a place to divulge 
if for nothing more where you are in that moment, and we know that that moment does change, which is the reason why there's the expression keep coming back, because um, where we are on a Tuesday may not be where we are on a Saturday. Um, And that's just what we know about life. Um, It not only throws us curveballs, but it also throws us angels that come out of nowhere. And some of those angels honestly are ourselves, our higher selves that are pulling us up from something that we don't even, strength we didn't even know we had. When we discuss the difference though between exploitation and humiliation, what many of us do um, is that we allow for the cycle of secrecy and shame to exist. Nothing heals in secrecy and shame. It cannot be. If we compare it to going into a doctor's office and sitting there and the doctor saying, what's going on? How do I help? What are you going through? And the person staying in utter silence, but sitting right beside a loved one who knows they have a deadly, deadly, you know, whether you want to use the disease model and say they have a deadly disease, whether you want to say that they have an illness, whether you want to say that they have a dark passenger, whether you want to say that they have um, a suicidal, homicidal person living inside of them. The loved one, the person who cares, the person who embodies that truth knows that that doctor could help if only they knew what was going on. And in the secrecy and in the shame is the way that that actually spreads, not only throughout the entire body uh, of the person suffering with addiction or alcoholism, but it spreads throughout the entire system. And the system is whoever is close by. Is it our intention when we are in our addiction to be selfish? Is it our intention when we are in our addiction to protect our drug or protect our drink above those that we love? Hell no. Hell no. It is what we understand about survival. And until we understand a different way, until we feel like it is safe for us to be seen, the only thing we know to do is to hide. And the more we hide, the worse we feel. Because now we're compounding present. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Things that we're doing with past things that we did. And we're just digging the hole deeper and deeper, right? The outlet of being able to be seen and heard is the first step to actually being able to be felt and understood. And that understanding is what leads to 
So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? You're an addict. You're an alcoholic. You're a problem drinker. You're a problem user. You're somebody who is running from something. Yourself, your memories, the fact that you've never felt like you measured up, the fact that you've hurt people and you don't even know where to begin with the amends so you just don't start them because how could you ever apologize for what you see as these horrible atrocities that only a monster could commit? We're not monsters. We're suffering and we're lost and we're scared. And when you look at someone in their addiction and they seem selfish and cruel and traumatizing and the mere witnessing of the clutches of death coming for them over and over again, you know, that shadow of death that passes over them. And we sit there and we hold our breath and we exhale when they come out of wherever they may be, whether it's a hospital or their bedroom or, you know, whatever their revival looks like, whatever they're literally coming back from the dead looks like. And so long as there is air and breath in their lungs, I, for one, choose to believe and have found it to be true. And I think that's what you mean when you say you love hard, you know, you love with all your might. Um, It's not for the light of heart, but the belief that you are worth it. Your addict and you are not one and the same person. The person in you that wants you dead, the person in you that lies to you and tells you that you have no worth and that you're not going to be able to make it in life, you're not enough without using this substance. You can't imagine your life without it. And yet you can't live with it. It's hell. And as those who love, and I will say as a clinician, and it's controversial to say this, I love my clients. I love them. I couldn't do the work that I do if I wasn't affected by the rises and the falls. And I've had people ask me, of all the things you could have chosen, isn't it like digging around in a garbage can? I mean, you just spend your life digging around in garbage. And I say, no, that's not how I see it at all. I see it as someone is inside of a cave and they can't see outside the cave kind of like Plato's cave, you know, where you can't see the outside world. And someone comes in and says, I'm going to sit next to you inside this cave until you're, until you're ready to move. And I'm going to tell you right now that there's a light that's right outside that cave. And if you'll just take a few steps with me, we're going to walk into that light together, no matter how scary it is. It's not as scary as being inside this cave. I will believe in you until you believe in yourself. 
in your ugly and your despair, in your what you've done 10 years ago and what you've done yesterday and what's been done to you. And that's an important thing to mention as well. A lot of addiction is not just about protecting ourselves from who we are or what what we have done wrong. It's also protecting those who have wronged us because so long as we remain numb and so long as we remain the patient, the sick one, the one that is encompassing all of the family illness, then nobody has to look at themselves. And that's why having the words together with the picture, together with the portrait means so much because it's giving someone the opportunity to say, this is who I am. And that is such a tremendous gift because we can't see ourselves in the mirror clearly. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we see reflections casting back at us of all of our mistakes, of all of our tragedies and traumas, the wreckage that we've both endured and caused. We can't, when they say you can't see the forest through the trees, we can't see ourselves. And you casting a light is not about exploitation or exposure. It's about showing the humanity. It's about showing the depth of a person's whole self beyond the addiction. You're showing people a human being. And that, that I believe, is why that mother stopped you. And that's the reason why I believe your work is so powerful. Because so many of us in, in, in my line of work, in any line of work, labels are just so comforting for us. You know, once we have a label, it's like, ah, addict, I know what to do. I know what to do. Tough love, kick them out of the house, cut them off of all your resources, never let them in, don't answer the phone. How does, first of all, that there is no one rule that applies to everybody. So that's BS. Second of all, um, there is no rule book whatsoever to standing beside, in front of, next to, allowing someone to fall back into your arms when they can't stand. No one gives you the rule book for how to do that. All you have is gut. And that's what's so amazing about you, Antonia, is that your gut is what you went with and your gut is what other people are responding to. They're saying your gut and my gut feel the same, even if it's not about the same individual or individuals. What you're stirring is, just like we were talking about for the addict, what it means to be seen and heard, to feel understood. When people look at these portraits, they're not looking at their daughter or their son or their partner or even themselves. But what they are looking at is something that they recognize, the feeling the feeling is the same, and the um, the, the response to um, the, the the exhibitions has all is is overwhelmingly positive, but it's not sentimental at all. What people come out saying is that 
they are amazed at the humanity of these stories and they are they are uh, they've never seen addicts like this and i'm thinking well that's the point because we do as you say we say addict bad person wrong over there you know ignore and we judge and we are very very hard on them we're so jolly hard on them and what the exhibition does is say well look all these people who are in addiction they're all people like us they are fundamentally they start out as people they're souls they're people and they're not always crazy 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 with their their ideas but if they've taken something and they're off their heads yeah but that they, they may well be crazy but they won't always be like that they'll come down there's always a point in which you'll see the person again and I also think that when we see addiction, and this is like 10 years of scrabbling around not knowing where I'm going because of um, the, the addiction in the family, you know, this is just, this is, this is the school of hard knock. What I think is when we see an addict, we see the end product of a long and rather painful journey. The, the addiction is the kind of visible part of the trauma, of the distress, of the dysfunction, whatever that might be, the mental illness. And um, it, that is hard to deal with. And, and, and our society is not kind about people like that. But because of my family member, I've never lost sight of the fact that this person is real, very real and very real to me. And they they deserve to exist you know they they deserve to be here and even though the times I've had to withdraw and do that detaching with love and that has been massively painful absolutely it has because it's counterintuitive because you know we get mixed up with this thing about saving we think well because I can see the way and I can see what you should do then you should do that and if you could just listen to me I will tell you and you will know but if somebody's in addiction they're on a different whirly gig you know they're not they're not I mean how many people have given up addiction because someone asked them nicely not to you know it's, it, it's not going to happen. But you which, adds, to which, adds to the shame, which adds to the shame. Yes. Because, because someone will look at us and say, how could you do this to me again? Yes. You and they're not the doing pain. it to you. They're not doing it to you. One thing, one main thing I've learned is that this is not my story. It's not my story. So Antonia's got her own story. And, and as I get older, I realize that I must step back from other people's story because interfering with other people's story doesn't help them. It just makes me into a busybody, you know, and it makes me think, oh, well, I know what to do and I'll just tell you and it'll all be okay. No way, you know? So it's not my story. So when I'm, when I'm dealing with people in addiction, while I'm painting, I have to just mention that nothing ever gets shown unless it's passed by them. You know, no, no addicts' um, words and portraits are ever displayed unless it is absolutely signed off by them. And, you know, sometimes I can do um, 
I can do a painting of someone and they can say, well, I don't see myself in that painting. So we have to, to change it so that they can see themselves. Actually, can I just tell you a little sort of story about that? Yeah, please do, because the question I actually wanted to ask, and I think this is actually where you're intuitively going, is I really want to know the process of developing that trust to have someone who's lived in secrecy and shame willingly Mm. expose their story and and to you, to the world. Yeah. I'm going to say I don't really know. This is this is this is the most extraordinary thing. And this is, I mean, I very much believe there is a great deal of divine help in the world. I have a great deal of love for the love of the divine. And I feel that that love of the divine has just sort of nudges me into these places and doesn't tell me what to do, but puts me in front of things. And I kind of think, Okay, I'll have a go at that then. And the process is either I ask and I say, would you be interested? Here is what I'm doing. Here are some examples. This is all about you and you are the boss. This this is not about me at all. And the whole purpose of the work we're doing is to see you and to show humanity. It's a, it's, it, once again, it's about love, but it's that, that really big love, which isn't about sentiment and, and sort of being soppy. It's a, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a divine love. So I ask, or people come to me and say, would you include me? But a lot of people don't actually say that. They kind of go, um, they say, oh, I've had an addiction problem. And I say, okay. And they say, well, I still am. And then uh, we talk a bit and then they say, I hear you, you're an artist. And I say, yes. And they say, um, I sent you my photo. Do you, do you think I could join the exhibition? And I say, yeah, great. <laughs> Please do. And the process, once we've got a connection, once somebody wants to be in it, then we talk. Because um, you can, well, we all know this. When you talk with people, you give off energy and you give off vibes and they, they will decide whether they really want to go ahead with it or not. And you just hold the space and you don't expect anything. Um, because they are actually doing me an enormous favour. I, I, I am interpreting them through paint and telling a story and it's for my exhibition so Antonio Rolls wins you know because I get to do that but um we talk then I take a photograph or if they want to they send me a photograph and I paint and I do the paint and I show them the portrait and if they like it then Um, I interview them again and I say, well, I will take words down. So I take all the words down. We have a long talk, long chats. And then I write up all the words and send it and say, this is what I've taken down. How are you about this? Sometimes they say yes. Sometimes they say that. There's a load of awful cobblers. You can't write that. Um, Here, I'll do something else. And they send something else. Fine, because they are the boss. It goes, "What, what they want, they get within reason. 
Um, I was going to tell you about one young lady who um, I painted, um, whose mother is uh, a crazy, crazy, crazy um, addict and alcoholic. And this child, she was 17 when she first came into one of my exhibitions. And um, she had with her her boyfriend. And they were two of the most amazing youngsters you could hope to meet because they had nothing in their lives. They had each other. They had no parental um, uh, role models. They didn't know how adults really behaved. They, they, they didn't know about a, a healthy adult relationship. And yet they found each other and they were very articulate. So they asked, could they be in the exhibition? So the first exhibition, they spent the whole exhibition every day. They'd come back and they'd sit in there with me every single day. Um, because one of the things that, that we have in the exhibitions is peace and a safe, safe feeling, you know, and I'm not suggesting it just is, it just flows. We have to create it and we, we, we make sure that if people like this come in and, and stay with us, that they are safe and they are placed near the door so they can go if they want. It's, it's, just, it's just fine. So this young lady, I get round a year later to do doing her portrait. We've had lots of chats, I've been to see them in London. And um, she's, she's a, a big, beautiful 18-year-old girl. And she has... Um, an African father and, a, and um, an English mother. So she has the most beautiful coloring and hair to die for, long, beautiful hair. So I do what I think is the most lovely painting of her because I took photos of her without any makeup. And she said, uh, she, she, she didn't like it. She said, I can't see myself there. I don't, that's not me at all. So I said, send me a photograph of who you really are then. And I got these Instagram photographs, which were so photoshopped and so mm. sculpted and so full of um, kind of weird makeup. So I thought, okay, I had to get rid of the double chin. I had to slim her down. I had to change her face completely. But I had to do it because this was her story. And this is what she thought she looked like. So we did, did, changed it, gave her eyelashes, which were out touching the top of her head, you know, and put the lipstick on and everything. Then she said, no, I'm happy with that. And I thought, well, it isn't you, but bless you. Here it is. So that's quite she, interesting. It's who she wanted to be seen as and on the yes. inside. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Even though you were able to see the beauty in her natural beauty, yes. she needed she her Photoshop self at this moment in time, capturing mm. her reality. Yeah. And it's so meaningful what you've said about it's not your story to tell because mm-hmm. I would struggle personally with that. I really would. I would struggle to say, oh my goodness, you know, wow. Yeah. Okay. So we're, you, what you want to show that you are yeah. is essentially what, it, you know, I'm not to say this, not to put words in your mouth, but if I were to think of it as like someone were to make an anime version of me and I were to look at myself and say, okay, so this is what I would look like as a cartoon. This is what I feel like I look like in the world. This is me. And 
for you to just honor that and say, yeah, okay. If that is who you are, that to me is tantamount to really circling back to the beginning, you growing up as a little girl and saying, I think I'm a fairy. And you know what? (laughs) Who the hell was the world to argue with you? Because as it turns out, you are. And so if somebody wanted to paint you and you said, well, I actually want, you know, where, where are my wings? Where's my wand? Where's my, where is all, where are all these things? And they were to say, Antonia, you don't actually have wings. And you'd be like, oh, yes, I do. They're right here. It's about giving them a voice. It's about you having a voice. That is what we want you all to hear. Whether you are the person struggling in it, the person standing beside it, Uh your story is yours. And the honor and the gift of bearing witness Uh to not only victory, but to all of the steps that it takes to get there. There's a fierce love and tenacity that requires, but there's also an incredible degree of what is used in the rooms of um, Alcoholics Anonymous recovery groups all the time. The the words that are used oftentimes, acceptance. You have to have acceptance. And a lot of times people don't really grasp, we don't really grasp what that means, to accept someone as Antonia, this is, this is me. This is, you're going to paint me. Then this is, this is what I'd like you to paint. True acceptance is about saying, okay, I'm not here to change your story. I'm here to allow you to tell it because only in you telling that version, may you actually get through to the process of who knows that beautiful young woman now today may say, take a picture of me with no makeup on and my beautiful, you know, mixed race hair and my cultural dynamics and all of that. And just depict me in my raw beauty. I want to see the person I actually see when I look in the mirror. I don't want to see all the photoshopped, you know, made made up, but we can't get Mm -hmm. there unless we have a starting point. And you allow that person to start wherever they need to start in their journey. They don't have to be at the end. You're not just depicting, you're not depicting people at their worst. You're not depicting people at the at their best when they've already, you know, got it all behind them and they're, you know, victorious and standing above it all and saying, here I am, I overcame. You are depicting wherever they are in that moment. It's a living, breathing project. They're so courageous because they are public. They are letting themselves be seen and heard publicly. So to honor that and respect that is absolutely tantamount, you know, because I'm, you know, remember those, those, uh, some cultures think that you steal someone's soul if you take a photograph of them. Well, you know, that's not what I'm doing, but there is something about that in, putting somebody's portrait and words on display for the public uh, in, in, in their vulnerability. And I think that the people who allow this are very, very brave. I just mentioned as well that some of the portraits I do are people who have come through and that are on the other side, but none of them 
none of them say anything like, um, well, I'm fine now. So, uh, you know, I, I, you know, forget about all the others. They all say, they all say, um, for the grace of God, here I am. I'm turning around and I'm helping everyone else. One, one of the people that um, I painted, um, whose face is on the, 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 the exhibition poster, he said that he was first of all a victim. It was all happening to him. Now he was 40 years, an alcoholic, an, an addict. He was in prison for most of those years and he's come through and he said, I was a victim all the time. And then when I began to get things together and it took him 12 years to do this, he said, uh, I'm a survivor. And he said, I was on this island where I was a victim. Everything was everyone else's fault that was happening to me. Then I became a survivor and I got on the boat and left the island. And then he said, I became a warrior. When I looked behind me and I saw other people on the island, I got back in the boat and went back to help them. And now this fellow does relapse prevention work. And actually, he's been very helpful to me. Um, Amazing, eh? Well, uh, amazing, but but highly likely given the space that you've created for someone to, you know, it's a documentation in real time where when we say, you know, when we acknowledge the cultural dynamic of, you know, to take a picture is to, you know, take someone's soul. I would say, you know, in what you're doing, you're taking a moment in time and you're suspending their oh. soul and holding it up to a light where someone where you're actually allowing the full mind, body, spirit, all of it, their soul is really what's on display. And if their soul is leaking, then it's leaking. And if it's, you know, it's wherever they are in that moment in time. And that is part of the healing journey is to be able to then look at those portraits of themselves mm. and their words. And mm. hopefully by the, by the grace of something higher and divine within them, within all of us, that collectively, I think, all of our love, all of our strength that matters so much to pull one another through, the power of connection is yes. Connection. Isn't it the case that disconnection and isolation is the worst thing for people in addiction? And, and that's where they are. And, and it's not, you know, and connection is, is so important, not only for people in addiction, but for all of us. All of us. We need each other. We people, we need each other. Yeah. Admitting, admitting that and allowing people in when you need someone so badly, but you don't feel like you can be seen because it's so shameful is where, well, it's where breaking this pattern exists. It's exactly what you're doing. And for, you know, for all of you who have experienced addiction and, and who have loved ones who've experienced addiction, you know, we know isolation is in and of itself a drug. Um, you, you know, that the idea of, you know, isolation comes first, the shame, the secrecy that I'm on my own, the separation from others, the, the part, the unknown parts 
Um, we think we know, but we don't know. And so even when we're saying, I love you, the person that we're saying it to is going, oh, if you only knew what I really yeah. am, you yeah. wouldn't actually feel that way. So to actually say, no, I do see you and I mm-hmm. do hear you and mm-hmm. I love you for you mm-hmm. as you are. And I want I nothing from you. Die. I don't want you to yeah. die. Yeah. I will fiercely fight for you and with you for your life. Mm-hmm. But I, I absolutely love you. Um, mm-hmm. I do see you. Um, I'm not ashamed of you. I want, mm-hmm. I want you to love you as I do. I want you to, my, my, my greatest wish for you is that you could see what I see in you as your worth at here and, and why your mm-hmm. being and your presence matters so much. And it's so wounding to see someone's light and watch them be so, uh, be so amiss as to their mirror is, 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 it's as though they're looking through, they might as well be shrouded in black. You know, they, they can't see themselves clearly. And I don't even want to say they, we, I've been there. Mm. We can't see ourselves clearly. And trauma goggles are just as bad, if not worse, especially in combination with drugs, as beer goggles, okay? You will go in and you will make the worst decisions of your life, you know, um, when you are in pain. And that is all you can see. And as that gentleman said, I was a victim for all these years. And, and that is an identity. Addict mm-hmm. is an identity. Broken mm-hmm. is an identity. So... The healing process begins with speaking our truth mm. and having that be heard and having others not shudder and say, oh, that's too much. Ugh. Oh, it's repulsive. Your truth is repugnant to me. It's mm. actually the idea of saying, yeah, I can relate. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. I, mm. I maybe I haven't stood in your shoes and I never could, but I damn well can relate to feeling hopeless and in pain and feeling like I am both the wounded and, and the, the person wounding that I'm both the victim and the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. How do we set ourselves free? We set ourselves free by first acknowledging the truth of our story and that mm-hmm. our story can evolve and change over time. We are not, we are the story we tell mm-hmm. ourselves. So what do you want your story to be? And just like any great book or any great series, the beginning of the story does not mm-hmm. look like the end of the story, which is yeah. the importance of capturing all these moments along the way. I know, I know for you all out there, you can't see Antonia's beautiful work. And we're going to give you the opportunity to go um, and, and look at these amazing creations that she's co-created with these very brave and courageous people. Um, and thank you all who participated um, in, in co-creating with Antonia, something that um, I believe is reverberating throughout, you know, 
the world. Uh, I do feel like this is going to be a worldwide um, thing. I, I that's what I feel in my gut and my heart is that this is not going to just remain um, in in the UK. I think there's such a meaning and a purpose to this type of 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 work and this type of storytelling. Can you share with us, Antonia, some of the most impactful words that you have? Oh, been- I yes, I can. Funnily enough. Um, there were, well, there are words on uh, the paintings, <laughs> and I have ooh, some of the cards here with the words on them. There's a painting here of uh, a lady who has come through a cocaine and alcohol addiction, and she is very beautiful and calm now, and I've painted her in dark greys with the, just the light of her face being uh, the the, the light in the picture. And she says, extreme, I think I am extreme. Lines of Coke, then Vipassana, what is it, Vipassana meditation. Not just a bit of mindfulness, but 10 days of silence and not moving. Scanning my body from head to toe, recognizing the blockages. I'm still coming out of this. I'm present, I'm here. That's her after her her addiction finished. Um, wow, guys! I'm I just got goosebumps. Can't imagine I'm alone in that. That is that is penetrating. She yeah she's she's an amazing person. Here's another one. Um, a, a lovely lady um, who says, let me just say, she says. I wake in the morning and I want to escape from my mind. And then she says, helping others gives me joy. Communication with others gives me joy. Sometimes, though it's hard. And then she said, I was not addicted to drugs. I was addicted to the escape. I've wanted to kill myself often, but a little voice in the back of my head kept saying, it's not worth it. And then she lists speed, ketamine, MDMA, weed alcohol, cocaine, abuse. And it's tough stuff. Now I've got something from this lovely 18 year old who's 17 when I met her. She says, I don't know who I am. I feel like it's been taken away from me. No safe place to find myself. My life chance to grow and mature. My mind too consumed as a child. I'm a mum to my mum to make sure she's at home. One night, she didn't come home. I called her 200 times, missed calls. I'm 13, she's out. Very powerful. Very powerful. I mean, I'm, I'm right there. You know? I'm right that there. Resonates. Yeah, uh, it just takes you right, it just takes you right into the we're right there with you in that moment, looking through your eyes, experiencing to the best of our ability what that had to have felt like. And you're asking us to not only accept you and without judgment and without shame, but you're asking us for the courage to look at pain like that and acknowledge that in a different way 
and and it, you know all of us are unique and have had our own experiences but that level of pain and fear and utter desperation that is that's a human experience that's a unifying experience many individuals have experienced not knowing where safety was and feeling absolutely abandoned lost hurt by those who were most supposed to protect us and yeah. that is so real and you you and she capturing that together i mean it just grants such permission it's like an open door that i just walked through where for a moment i was just sitting there with her on that call as she called over and over and over again and it asked oh it asked it asked us to be willing to to open our hearts and to feel that look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do i even say other than hey <sighs> well that's why they're introducing an all new bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Because to feel that is, is the very reason why we do what we do. Because we feel, because we love, because that love has to be fierce. It has to be fiercer than the homicidal person that wants to take our loved one away. We, we, have to, we have to love stronger. We have to, you know, and, and that, is, that is different than enabling. That is different than no matter what you need. Uh, you need 500 bucks. I have no idea what it's going to be used for, but here it is. For all of you listening, I, I want you to, to know one woman's experience of that is that when you are walking next to someone going through the struggle of trying to save their own life, you may hear that tough love means or loving hard means that when someone struggling with addiction as we have calls you and says, I'm in trouble, I need your help, that what you are supposed to do is say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. That is not the truth. When you say, I'm sorry, I can't help you, is when we call and say, I'm not going to do anything different in my life. Uh, you're a bitch. Everything that I'm going through is your fault. Um, and I need $500 because you owe it to me because my life has been nothing but hell and it's your fault. So wire me the money now. That is when you say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. When we call saying, I'm willing to take a step, our response is, I'll meet you halfway. I'll, I'll, I'll take that next step with you. So long as someone is willing, we must be willing because their will is sometimes all they have. 
and to deny their will to live and to say, well, now that you're willing to save your own life, I'm tired of you. I'm spent. I don't have it to give. And that's very, very real. And that's the reason why we all need our support systems. We all need our places to share our stories of this pain and this hurt. So that when we are fortunate enough to get the call that says, will you jump into this crisis with me that's going to hurt and is going to be painful, we are not so spent and so resentful and so over it that we would sooner let the person die than reach within to do what we could. And if it wasn't safe for us to do what we could, then to dig a bit deeper and find the people who can when we can't. And it's sometimes we can't. Sometimes it can't be us. But we can, we can do something when someone calls and is genuinely asking for help. That is not the time to say, there's no help, there's no help for you here. There is always help for you so long as you want help. There's always, always help for the person who's willing to do the work to save their own life. It's the most courageous call anyone could ever make. And it's the most courageous answer anyone could ever give to say, I don't know how. And you may not. But we're going to figure it out. Because it started with you calling. And I think that... um, when I hear I, I hear you and I hear such such wise words. You you are such a wise person, really, Renee. Such a wise person. Um, and I I I feel a little bit ashamed because it's taken me ten years to understand this kind of thing. Because in the beginning, I was just I didn't know anything. I just thought drugs bad disappear. You know, and and I. Then there's this dance with an addict where they manipulate you and 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 do that thing where you are responsible. You know, you have to help me by giving me this, that, and the other, and you don't know where your boundaries are, and you don't know that you can have them, and we, you don't know that your boundaries can be actually pretty brutal. But you don't stop loving. But what you do is you protect yourself so that you are available at a later date. You know, I see that now. I see that now, but in in the beginning, I was all over the place and I was absolutely played for a fool all the time. Well, that's the nature of it. And I I am so glad for those experiences. If I hadn't had them, I wouldn't understand as much as I do understand now. And I'm not saying I understand everything. I just have a, I have a, a, a wider view of the whole thing. And I tell you another thing which I've lost is my fear. I have no fear now of addicts and addiction. I don't, I'm not frightened. When I see people rolling about in London, I I used to to feel a, 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 a visceral fear and like I was, my life was in danger. I don't feel that now. I feel huge compassion. I leave because you can't stick around if you're not if the situation is safe but i don't leave at a run thinking ah these people are mad i think bless them that is really tragic and i send them love and i leave you know um i'm going to read you one more sentence 
here, which will cheer you up. This is from somebody who has been the victim of both um, parents being addicts. She's a young mother herself now. And she says, I'm proud and I will no longer be silent, scared or feel threatened for sharing my experience. I'm breaking the cycle and I'm taking you all with me. Wow. <laughs> and that story, that lady was traumatized by the by um, the people who were abusing her once they found out that she was working with me for the exhibition. She's had to take out restraining orders and her first words weren't, she, she rejected her first words because the experiences she was suddenly having with these people, um, her parents were so outrageous uh, that she decided she was going to rewrite them and for a long time I thought I'd lost her and she wouldn't be in the exhibition and about uh, um, two weeks before the exhibition started she she sent me these words she said I've done it I'm out I'm 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 strong I've said my piece and she says at the end I said I'm gonna break the cycle and I'm taking everyone with me and I'm safe and I'm fine and I thought yes you are you are amazing. You make you know you shine like a light. She's no fool. She was, um, you know, she was one of what six children. She, the oldest of six, brought up her five siblings. Had to get them out to safety as a child. Um, but now she's married. She's got two children of her own. She's got all the help she needs, and she has said her piece and had her picture in the exhibition because she chose to. Don't you think that's amazing? Doesn't she need a medal? I mean, blows my Abs mind. Absolutely. And and to to go back a few moments to you expressing that, you know, your own, you know, shame that you hadn't come to these realizations sooner. It can't be done in that way. There's no there's no way out but through. And we hope and we pray that we will have the right guides when we are going through that process, that they will have the wisdom. And thank you so much for your compliments toward me. They mean the world and they never fall on deaf ears. We all do very, very hard work, but no one works as hard and no one is as courageous as you out there who are working so hard to save your lives every day and finding another reason to live when life kind of keeps throwing you curveballs that that feel like you're being given another reason to die and you keep choosing life. And for that, you are heroic. Um, you too, in the work that you do, Antonia, are allowing our unsung heroes, those that are in the struggle, at the beginning, right in the middle of it, at the end of it, but always having to check their rearview mirror to make sure that their dark passenger isn't somewhere following right behind them. Um, yeah. That sharing our truth can sometimes mean angering a lot of people who would prefer yeah. to see us sick or dead than actually yeah. speak our truth. And we find our answers as we go. And just as the stories of these individuals change, so do we. They are, they are our teachers if we are willing to learn. And 
you have been and your learning has led to others being able to say, I too am going to allow myself to be captured at this moment in time as who I am because I will, I, this will transform me in some way and has transformed us all in, in, in some people, way. Yes. Absolutely. So it's not, and the thing is, when people join the exhibition, um, they know they're doing good. They know that their words, um, I, I had one lady come and read um, the, the words in the exhibition and um, afterwards she told me she was only three weeks into her sobriety and she said it really it, it really affected her that some of the words like this young lady talking about her mother being out and calling her 200 times she said that could be me my daughter is five you know that's how it can go and she said I I, I can't believe it um I, I'm I'm really going to stick to this um well, what what you've helped her expose and so many others expose and what they've helped us all see is that their lives have meaning there yes, is no such thing as a worthless life and so you're in the middle of your own struggle and in the middle of your own struggle and having the courage to allow yourself to be seen you are doing good in simply and not i can say simply but there's there's nothing really simple about it it's a huge and courageous choice but mm-hmm. what happens from there is to allow mm-hmm. the natural process of human connection to occur and we yes. look at one another and i and we say i recognize you yeah. i recognize you i see mm-hmm. you and i don't just recognize the pain in you i recognize that there might be another side of the pain. Mm-hmm. Because if you can do it, even if what we're talking about is someone at the very beginning, when we say mm-hmm. you, you can do it, I'm not necessarily talking about the painting that says, I'm here, I've arrived, I'm, I've, I've, I'm at the best part of my life. I'm talking about you can do it, meaning you can tell your story and be heard and seen and felt and understood. And that in and of itself is a tremendous, tremendous gift. And I know that um, in just a moment here, uh, Bindi is going to be asking us, Antonia, to share another form of our connection um, with all of you out there and with each other. Um, and that is, you know, um, the, the creative process of music. But before simply um, sharing what my song is, I want to read you specifically, Antonia, the lyrics, um, because I thought of you immediately and um, I'll, I'll just read them to you now and I think you'll know exactly why. Late night, breaks lock, hear the tires squeal. Red light, can't stop, so I spin the wheel. My world goes black before I feel an angel steal me from the greedy jaws of death and chance and pull me in with steady hands. They've given me a second chance, the artist in the ambulance. Wow. Well, 
I wish, I wish that was me. That sounds like everything I just wanted in life as an artist. I do something I call healing by being. This is what I want. Bless you, Renee. Well, the reason why I just read that to you is not because you need to wish that it's you. It's because that is how I see you. So when we're talking about your portrait, that is the one that I would paint if I painted it musically, is, is that right there, the artist in the ambulance. Everything, thank you. Bless you. Oh, my gosh, Antonia, you, you are a healer. Uh, you definitely are a healer. And, um, you know, one thing that was coming through for me as I was listening to you is that you're a light seeker. You're actually seeing the light in people and shining it back at themselves. So um, you are doing that healing just by picking up a paintbrush. And just like all art, as Ronay said, we love our music and we love to share that as part of the show. We have our playlist on Spotify. You can find that by searching Get Real with Dr. Ronay on Spotify. We'll also have the link in the show notes. Now, Antonia, I know you've already chosen your song. What is it? Well, this is, this makes me cry every time. It's called Leave a Light On by Tom Walker. And it was played to me by the person in my family with addiction. And this person said, listen to the lyrics. And it's about leaving a light on so this person can find their way home. And I just think, yeah, leave the light on so you can find your way home. I dedicate this to all the people who need to hear it. And I love the light in everyone, all of you, everyone. Beautiful. There we go. Light seeker. Um, and Renee, your song. My song uh, dedicated to the lovely and blessed fairy uh, who has joined us uh, today and the incredible and thrilling artist um, and light seeker, as Bindi so adequately put it. It's a song by one of my favorite bands, Thrice. And the song is entitled The Artist in the Ambulance. Give it a listen, y'all. You won't regret it. Amazing. And uh, my choice uh, for this episode Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind. Um, I want something else to get me through this. And you, you'll find those, as I said, on Spotify. Just search Get Real with Dr. Renee. And the meditation for this episode, Let Go of What You Know. You'll find that one on Insight Timer. Thanks for getting real with us, Dr. Renee. Thank you for getting real with me and for helping others get real with themselves. It's such a joy and a pleasure to have had you. Thank you, Bindi and Ronay. Bless you and I love you both. Thank you for tuning in to Get Real with Dr. Ronay. If you've loved the show and would like to experience coaching with coaches like Dr. Ronay or Bindi through Live Treatment Concierge Services, visit livetreatmentvip.com. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. 
but I like airplane. I know you do, but WannaBet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid.